Amen. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here together with you, and uh, we're so appreciative to have you here with us this morning and to have those uh, with us this morning joining us online. We know some are at home this morning, and they are with us online, and we appreciate so much all of you uh, being together this morning as we worship God, sing to Him, study His Word, and fellowship with one another. We're uh, finishing up our series that we're in on uh, the church, why bother, why should we bother with church, and then we'll look into some new things in the new year. But this morning, I want to ask you, have you traveled around, have you had the chance to travel around the United States and see many of the different monuments that we have? We've seen a few, but have you ever been able to see ones like the Statue of Liberty? There's Mount Rushmore, the Lincoln Monument. Of course, there's the Pearl Harbor Memorial, Vietnam Memorial, and then there's the World Trade Center Memorial. There are many, many wonderful and important memorials of all kinds of people, of events around our country. And uh, it's neat to visit them and see them and learn the history and, and be there. And it's one thing to see them in a picture. It's another thing to be there in person. Why do we construct monuments? Why do we, con why do we build monuments? We do that to remember uh, a person who meant a lot, who accomplished great things, or to remember a great moment, or to remember some tragedy that happened, right? We do it to, to honor something in the past or to remember something in the past. And sometimes that's something very good, and sometimes it's, it's something that, that was a, a bad time, a tough time in our history. But that, that monument is there to remind us of what happened and to learn from both the good and the bad, to be inspired from both the good and the bad. So monuments are good, aren't they? They're good to have around our country to remember who we are and to remember our history. But is it possible to also think of the church as a monument? Is that possible? And, and is that the way we should think of the church? Should we think of the church as a monument? Or is it something different? You see, when we look at the church as a monument, then what are we doing? We're looking at the church as something that happened in the past. We're looking at it as something that, that happened back then. It's a, it's a memory. It's something to remember, to honor, to admire. But it's something frozen in time in the past. And, and sometimes without thinking about it, we can do that in the church and think of the church as a monument where we come to remember uh, uh, just who we used to be and what happened back there then, the way it used to be, the glory days, the great days, and remember how it was and how great it was back then, and that's the way we did it back then, and that's that worked then, and it was good enough then, and it's Therefore, it's good enough now. It works now. And so we, we encapsulate the past in this monument. And church becomes all about remember back then how we did it, what it was, who did what. And that is our definition of church. 
And so any discussion of something different or the way it was uh, uh, done during the past is dismissed because it worked back then, so it should work now. And it's easy to get comfortable and settle into a routine because that's the way we've always done it. And that's, that's what we did back then. And that's what so-and-so did back then. And, and, and we're comfortable with that. And so we settle into this routine and that establishes the status quo. And, and so that is the, the, the level that we should maintain right there. But it comes from the past. The, the problem is is that doesn't have anything to do with the present and the future. See, if the church is just a monument to past accomplishments, it doesn't speak to the present, and it doesn't speak to the future. Now, we're not talking about remembering uh, Christ's sacrifice on the cross and communion. We're not talking about remembering uh, uh, what church is all about. We're talking about when we freeze our local congregation in the past and we, we, we hold that up as a hero and that's who we were. We were great back then and that's what it's all about. Then we can't move forward because we're frozen in the past. And when we do that, then there's nothing to do now and there's nothing to do uh, tomorrow. There's no activity that moves the church forward. There's no big vision that steps out in a bold faith to accomplish things today and in the future. Why? Because we're frozen in the past and we visit the monument and we pay honor to the monument. And then we go on about our business. It doesn't affect us today because as long as we visit the monument, then we're okay. Why would people bother with church if it's nothing but a monument. Now, monuments are important, but we don't see in the New Testament that Jesus established his church to just be a monument for us to visit and honor and remember. We see it described in a different way. There, there, there has to be something for people in the present and the future. Otherwise, it doesn't connect with people's real lives. If the church is a monument, then it can't help people in today's situations because it's stuck in the past and on the past. So would we describe the New Testament church as a monument or would we use another word? I think if we were to look at the New Testament church, and we're going to look in the book of Acts in particular, then we would describe the, the church as not a monument, but a movement. Not a monument, but a movement. Monuments are good, but what we see about the church is that it wasn't a monument, it was a movement. And the Gospel of Matthew ends with Jesus' last words to his disciples, Mark as well, and they were all about action. And in Matthew 28 uh, 16 through 20, Jesus says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, Matthew's telling us, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, His last words before he ascends into heaven, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, do you see the action? And make disciples of all nations. This is an active faith. This is moving. 
moving forward. This is doing something, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you, action, always to the end of the age. Then as soon as we open the book of Acts, what do we see? We see that Luke is telling us about when Jesus gathered his disciples together before he ascended into heaven. He spent about 40 days with them, continuing to teach them more about the kingdom of God. Look at verse number 8 in Acts chapter 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's not a monument. That's a movement being active for the work of God. And, of course, he spoke these words directly to his apostles then, but there's a direct application to us because they eventually passed on. And that, that, that gospel message, that movement has to continue to the ends of the earth. And that's where we come in. Now, none of these words of Jesus can be accomplished if the church is just a monument. They can only be accomplished if the church is a movement. And if it's people who make up the church, it's not just some vague uh, 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 thing when we say church. That means us. That means the Christians in the church. It's only a movement if we are moving. Is that right? So we have to be active in our faith. The church of Christ is a movement of God's people doing God's work. The church should matter in the community. Remember I opened this series asking you if, the, if the, the, the Lord's church were to disappear, would anybody notice? And if they noticed, would anybody care? You see, because the church should matter in its community and, and its impact should be felt. And the only way that happens is if the Christians who make up that congregation are active in their faith. That's how it works. We see that the church is a movement in these other passages because we see them active in worship and service in Acts 2, 42 through 47. We looked at this in class this morning. And when, when the church was a movement, what did God do? The Bible says he added to their faith, he added to their number daily such as should be saved. And then they prayed for boldness in Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 29, to continue to teach about Jesus while they were being threatened. See, we're not being threatened. And while they were being threatened, literally physical threats, they prayed not to keep us safe, but for boldness to keep on preaching about Jesus. The New Testament church is a movement because when we see the high priest uh, uh, commanded the apostles to stop teaching about Jesus in, in chapter 5. They said, we must obey God rather than men in chapter 5, verse 29. They said that directly to the high priest. Like, you ain't going to tell us what to do. We must obey God rather than men. And then... As the apostles were set free, they were told again, don't you dare teach about Jesus again. And when they left, what did they do? Verse 41 and 42 tell us, they went rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. 
Is that the same attitude we have now? See, that's the attitude of a movement. Like, you ain't going to stop us. That's a movement attitude. Verse 42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. See, nothing was going to stop them from being on the move in their faith. And then if we fast forward to Acts chapter 17, we find Paul in Thessalonica staying with a fellow Christian named Jason. That's kind of an uncommon name among all the hard names in the Bible. But Jason uh, was Paul's friend and co-laborer, and he stayed with him while he was teaching about Jesus. Now, the devout Jews had been teaching in that area for years and had seen little results. But then these Christians show up, and they start Uh, They start converting people. People start believing their message about Jesus, and they didn't like that one bit. They were jealous. They wanted that to stop because this was their turf. This was their territory. They had, in in about three weeks of Paul teaching there, they had great multitudes who had accepted the gospel. And then a mob attacked Jason's house. They were looking for Paul, but Paul wasn't there. So they dragged Jason out into the streets. They captured him. Uh, uh, He wasn't there, so they got Jason. They dragged him and some others, and they were shouting. They stirred up the whole town, and they shouted in verse 6, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, uh, saying that there is another king, Jesus. They didn't like this one bit. And and now notice what they said. See, uh, they said they have turned the world upside down, and now they've shown up here. They're saying that someone else is king and not Caesar. See, folks, people don't enter a church. The church enters a building. Do you see the difference there? People, we don't, we don't enter the church to worship. The church enters the building. We assembled this morning to worship as the church. We were already the church. And we assembled together this morning to worship and to, to, to fellowship and to study God's word and to pray to God and partake of communion with one another. And then we, we scatter, the idea of the gathered and scattered church, and we, we scatter to go and be that movement that God would have us to be as his people. So the, the people don't enter the church, the church enters the building. It's a mindset that we have to have about who we are, our identity, because uh, uh, the church is the earthly outlet for God's truth on earth. It, it's, it's, his, it's the earthly outlet for his heavenly truth. And th- how is his truth to get out if not through his people? Uh, Paul would say, we're not going to go there, but he, he would say we're his ambassadors, right, in 2 Corinthians 5. So it's our job to, to go and do that. That's our mission. That's who we are and what we do. It's God's embassy on earth that represents him and proclaims him. Now, In Acts 17, the word that Luke uses for turned upside down, you see that in uh, verse number 6? That word means to unsettle or disturb. That's what that word means. And he's using it as a metaphor here. And the accusers were saying that the allegiance of the people was being disturbed and unsettled and and turned away from their earthly king and towards another king that they were now believing in. 
And, and so they were turning everything upside down. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Their, their allegiance and, and their, their loyalty and their worship is supposed to go towards their earthly king. And, and y'all are showing up teaching about another king, and you've just messed everything up. Everything is all upside down now. This isn't the way it's supposed to work. You, you've messed up the order of things here. And that's what a movement is supposed to do. That's what the Lord's church is supposed to do. Not in riots and all that, but in in turning people's lives upside down. Turning them from, that's what repentance is, turning them from worshiping earthly kings, earthly things, and turning them to worshiping the true God. The only God that can save them. And that's what our job is to do. So when Paul preached Jesus, it was disturbing their allegiance from the religious uh, Jews towards Jesus. Now notice the accusers didn't say that they were turning the city upside down. See, they knew who these people were and they had heard about them. They said they're turning the world upside down. Now, the only way we can turn the world upside down is if collectively where we live, we are turning our cities upside down. Now, again, that's not in some kind of anarchy riot. That's in, what did we see see back here in Acts chapter 5? And in every day, Acts chapter 5, 42, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. See, this isn't mean and unloving and yelling and picketing and all that. It's simply telling others about Christ and helping them to turn their allegiance from the earthly things, the things of this world, to Christ. And this is a powerful testimony, what we see in Acts 17. These were accusers, people who didn't like Christianity, who didn't believe in Jesus, who said they're turning the world upside down. So it's kind of a compliment But that's not how they meant it. But it's a powerful testimony that the church was a movement and not a monument. They weren't frozen in time, just preserving the past. They were moving forward, actively involved in the present and the future. They were reaching people. And imagine today if the church saw itself in that way. We might have... Uh, We might do better at infusing faith in our conversations, inviting people to church, as Matt has talked about, uh, inviting someone every week, someone different every week. And and what we're doing this coming Saturday, where we're going to go and reach the neighborhood around us, and we're going to leave prayer cards to them so that they can send in prayers to us and and make some contacts and let this, the the area around us, let this community know that we're here for them, we care about them. We've got to do things like that so that they know who we are, they know our faces, they know we care, and that's what we're trying to do in this congregation and ultimately uh, teach people the gospel of Jesus Christ. When it comes down to it, Each Christian has to do this. We can't just say this vague blob church thing, this abstract amoeba church. We have to understand that means me. And in class, we were talking about this sense of accountability of one another. That means means I got to do this. And that means I got to expect that you're doing that and you got to expect I'm doing that. You see how that works? And when we do that, then we see the results. And we see that this thing really works. And that's the way the church is supposed to work. The church can't be strong if the Christians aren't strong. 
That's how we strengthen the church. But too often nowadays, we see Christians who are more discipled by their favorite news channel or their favorite uh, uh, social media influencers or, their fa- or, or, or culture than they are Jesus. They're more discipled by the different uh, uh, influences in this world, the different political opinions and pundits and, and influencers. They're more discipled by them than they are Jesus and his word. We'll follow someone what someone on TV says because they've been given a script to read. Then we'll follow Jesus and his eternal words. We'll be more conformed to the image of social media influencers than we are conformed to the image of Christ. And we can't be the church in that way. We can't be a movement for Christ if that's who we're going to be. We've got to be shaped and formed and disciples of Christ. What does it look like to be a movement? Matthew tells us that when Jesus went throughout All the cities and villages, he was teaching and healing. And when he saw the crowds in Matthew 9, what did he do? He noticed the people. The Bible says, Matthew tells us, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So so what do we see? First, he noticed them. We need to notice people. We get busy. We're just trying to get through to the next thing. We're always ready to get to the next thing, aren't we? And whatever we're doing now, we just need to get to the next thing. We're in a hurry to the next thing. And then once we get there, we're in a hurry to the next thing. So we can at some point fall into bed and then start over the next day. We need to be more like Christ and, and notice people. And then when we notice them, notice what's, try, try to notice what's going on. Have compassion for people's needs. You can't meet every need that every person has. But he noticed, he stopped, he took his time, and he cared about them. And then what does the Bible say? What did he do in verses 37 through 38? What did he tell his uh, disciples? He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So it's, it's like he's looking over to his disciples saying, do y'all see these people? Do you notice or are you so busy wondering who's going to be first or, or, or wondering what we're doing next or wondering how we're going to get food or wondering where we're going to get our money from or wondering if we're on schedule? Do you notice these people? And he's having compassion on them and he tells them, I mean, these are his apostles he's telling. He's telling them, you need to pray that God will send out laborers into his harvest. And that's what he's telling to us. What what is he saying? There's There's plenty of people wanting to hear about Jesus. That's not the problem. See, we talk like that's the problem. The problem isn't there aren't people that want to hear about Christ. Jesus told us what the problem is. The problem ain't them. The problem is I'm not willing to work. I'm not stopping and noticing and caring and and, and getting to know people and sharing my faith. The problem is there's a shortage of labor, not a shortage of, of, of need. You see? And Jesus said what we need to do is pray that we get out there into the harvest. 
That's what we need to be doing. So we need to be praying for that. When we lead our prayers, we need to pray, God, help us to share our faith. Help us to tell somebody about Christ. Help us to bring other people to Christ. Help us to be an evangelizing church that reaches our community. We need to be praying for that. We can't just say it. we got to pray it, and then we got to practice it. The problem is that the, is that the laborers need to labor. The one, but the ones who have already found Jesus... See, we turn and look at the church as a monument. See, we look at it as a monument instead of a movement because we're already there. Instead, we need to see it as a movement to continue to bring others to Christ. Movements have a big vision, don't they? Movements have, I mean, there's all kinds of different political and social justice movements, and you look at them, they have big, crazy, bold visions. Jesus told his people, go and make, go save the world. Go make disciples of all people. I don't care what they look like, where they come, go make disciples, teaching them about me and baptizing them. That's what he told them to do. What bigger vision is that? That's the only eternal vision that exists. Every other vision, vote for this person, uh, pass this law, maybe fine and good, perhaps, whatever. But none of that lasts beyond this earth. The only eternal vision, the only thing that really truly matters long term, not that we can't do important things that are temporary, but the only thing that's eternal is this vision that Jesus has given us, this mission that he's given us. Now, we sit right here. Think about where our building is. We sit right here in a booming community, don't we? Brother Callaway, this this school district is blowing up, isn't it? We're out of space in our campuses. Did you know that? We're, we're, we're a uh, 5A school and a 2A high school building. Did you know that? We, we, there's neighborhoods everywhere. I mean, all you got to do, you peek through some woods somewhere, there's a neighborhood back in there. Neighborhoods going up all over the place. Uh, we have, what, duplexes or apartments coming in behind Brookshire's. Stuff all over the place. We cannot be the Lord's church and sit right here in town and not have this church grow. Well, Brother Sledge, you just want numbers. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not about trying to be big numerically. That's not the issue. Because if we'll be faithful, our job is to be faithful with the mission. Our job is to run the play. If we'll be faithful with the mission, the people are here. It's not like, you know, Joyce is from West Texas, and some of those places, there's nothing out there. You know, there's nothing but maybe the school district. There's some places around our country where it's, it's dying out, uh, and you've seen places like that. But, but right now, this area is booming. There's no reason why we can't bring people to Christ with all these people moving in here. And we got to do our job. we got to run our plays, Okay, and so uh, maybe I'm belaboring this, but what I'm saying is if we'll be faithful and do what God has told us to do and have that big vision and not be a monument, but be a movement. If we'll get on fire and Matt's working hard and Kenley, so many others, everybody working hard to, to make this happen, then then the goal is to, 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 to bring lost souls to Christ. 
Now, now what that does is that adds people to your numbers. We're not after numbers just for the sake of numbers or money or something like that. We're after fulfilling our eternal mission. Does that make sense? And if we'll focus on that, then we're going to grow. Does that mean we're 1,000 or 500? I don't know, and that's not our concern. Our con- maybe we're 200. Our concern is to do what God has told us to do to be a movement and not a monument frozen in time. The goal isn't to grow big. The goal is to be faithful. We're in a new year. Let's commit to being a movement for Christ. And and, and a a small way to start is invite people to church. You are more influential than you realize. Invite people to church. Be here yourself. I know people sick, travel. I'm not talking about that, that sort of thing. Be in Bible class. Be a part of that and invite others to be a part of that. And let's get on fire for Christ in this new year. I'm excited about 2022 for the Bullard Church of Christ. We are poised at the right time in the right place to do this. Amen? We can do this. We are here. God has put us here at this point in time, at this moment. This is our time to be that bright light, that city on a hill. We got to run our plays and be faithful. And I believe this is a wonderful, special place. And more and more people are going to discover that as we remain faithful to God in a movement and not a monument. If we can help you this morning, we're always here for you. If you need prayers, encouragement, maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism. Uh, If there's any way we can serve you, let us know as you come forward as we stand and sing.